Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode two of the Power of Witness series. We are back this time with Bill and Felice for their episode, or their chance on the hot seat. And we have just a short little intro with Finn and Catherine here. And Hi. really quick, Emma said, yeah, hello, Catherine. Mm. <laughs> Emma said, this is episode two. If you're like, episode, where's episode one? Go back. Uh, it's actually just the episode previous to this. And it will actually be really beneficial for you to listen to that intro episode. It is long. We know it's long. But it lays... There's so much good stuff. <laughs> it lays a really strong foundation for what you're about to hear in this episode. And so we, we highly recommend doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, we also would maybe recommend, if you can, at some point, listening to episodes 42 and 130. These are the episodes in which Bill and Felice came on and shared their story on our podcast. And it will give you some context for this episode yeah. and this story that's going you're going to be listening to. And links all of that, links to all of that are in our show notes, normalizingnonmonogamy.com or in your little podcast player. Yeah. Not, not required, but a good idea. Right. Catherine, anything you want to say about this? We usually just ramble together for like an hour during the intro. <laughs> I just wanted to say that this uh, this hot seat session with Bill and Felice is, is really, I found it to be really powerful. And again, just to reference the, the chair work, the inner parts work, in this one, we're really going to talk a lot about the, um, the pure child and the adaptive child. And, and the difference here being the child, the pure child just being that very pure essence of who you are, your wants, your needs, your, we call it infantile narcissism. This is where narcissism isn't a bad thing. It's when we're that little, we just want, want, want it to be all about us. And that is how it needs to be for our survival. And then also when we talk to Bill, we get into the adaptive child. And this is a protector part that learns quickly how best to show up in the, your family of origin to get the love and approval that you are seeking even if it means folding yourself into an uncomfortable pretzel now and again and actually um, suspending your needs. So I just wanted to give some um, some context and some vocabulary words, if you will, about what about what this pure child little girl that Felice discusses and this adaptive child and the way that he was trying to protect Bill. Perfect. Yeah, thank you for that context. And a huge thank you to Bill and Felice for being here and for you know sharing so much of their story publicly on our platform. We're eternally grateful and just a quick note the sound quality on this is listenable but it's it, better than listenable lady <laughs> I, spent my, I spent a lot of time editing this we, thing. we did our <laughs> we did our best um and just hang in there with us uh we know that it's it's all audible but just yeah i just wanted to give that disclaimer nevertheless thank you bill and felice and uh we'll see everybody on the other side yeah let's go all right welcome Hot seat number one. So for our witnesses, witnesses, I would like to encourage you to think back to our feedback um, lesson about how to give this feedback um, at, after you hear 
Felice and Bill after I, after I coach them. And it might be helpful for you to have a pen and paper, or if you've got your phone where you might type some notes, if there's something that happens in the session that really speaks to you, then I encourage you to go ahead and make a note of it right then. Because then when, after their hot seat time is over, we want, to, we want you to be able to go back and describe the feedback as if it, was, it had just happened. Again, remember, if you, if you feel something in your body to make sure you make a note of that, um, if there is a certain word that they used or a turn of phrase or something that just really landed, remembering that specificity is such an important part of giving great feedback. So please take notes um, about how this affects you. Okay. All right, Bill and Felice, you got your buns warm, ready for the hot seat? Yes, yes. ma'am. <laughs> um, so um, for the listeners out there, um, we have had a private um, consultation with each per- with each couple where we discussed a little bit of, of background. Of course, I've listened to their podcast episodes. Then we talked about what issue that they wanted to bring to the hot seat. And it's a, a challenging ask because this is an issue that needs to fit in 50 minutes. Usually I work with people for an hour and a half at one time, much less many times. And it needs to be something, I've asked them to make it something juicy and vulnerable enough that it's it's real and interesting, but not so juicy and vulnerable that they would feel unsafe sharing it with um, the witness, the being witnessed, and of course, with all of you listeners um, out there later. So quite the ask and the challenge that I've given them. So um, Bill and Felice, I'll turn it over to you and let you give them a very quick recap of what we what you all decided would be an issue that you wanted to work with. And then we'll um, maybe a little bit about the feedback or the homework that I gave you to prepare, if that feels appropriate, so that we can jump right in and use this time. Great. Well, thank you so much for allowing us to do this. Bill and I have been married for 35 years, and we've been together for 37 years. So if we can get in a time machine and go back to 1983, I was uh, 19, and Bill had just turned 20, and we started dating. And I come from a very religious background, uh, Catholic Um, and I had never been with anybody else and, um, Bill and I, uh, we just connected on really so many levels, but not sexual. Um, and we had very, some very tough years in the beginning regarding just realizing who we were and asking the other person for what we needed. And, uh, Bill, it, Bill was very frustrated in those early years, but he was very good to me. And now a lot of that is coming out. Um, now that we're in the lifestyle, he sees what he missed out on and he has some regrets about that time where I have let go. I mean, I realize, but I was naive. I remember, you know, I know that I was young and not fully formed mentally about a lot of issues, but in particular, my sexuality. I really haven't known my sexuality for until the last five years. Mm. And since we opened up our relationship. So that's really been the positive part about this. But Bill still holds on to some 
lingering, I, I don't know if it's resentment, but worry about being aggressive or telling his truth or being his authentic self. And I often get mad when he brings up those years because I've moved on and I've expected him to move on. So he really hasn't. Not that we fight about me then, but it's mostly about him and reconciling that time with who he is now. And let me, and wait, if you don't mind, let me just, let me just say what I remember too, Felice, is something you said about, you know, that it keeps coming up and you can't rectify it. And he'll say like, this is my issue, not yours. But then you said, I still can't help feeling bad for it. Is that? Yes, exactly. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. So I feel like I was his partner and somehow I should have known or I, you know, it's what I feel is that it's, What's done is done, and there's no way I can go back in time and fix everything because I would if I could. Because I love Bill, I mean, with my whole heart, and if I could make things right for him, I would, but I can't. Okay. And he's he's going through a lot right now, um, and uh, with the COVID and and, well, and okay. yeah, I'll let him. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so let me, um, and we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and Bill, I'll let you jump into this, but I do, I definitely, you know, actually, if you don't mind, let me, do you mind if we go ahead and put you on the hot seat first, Felice? No, no, I don't mind. Is that okay, Bill? Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if that's what you think's best, you're, <laughs> you're the coach. Let me just, because I, it's, it's just a little bit that I want that I wanted to jump right in with this. And then um, I'm afraid that once we, um, once we dig into to what Bill has to say that this might get lost. So if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and do that. Okay. Um, one of the, one of the, I think qualities that's important in a couples coach or a couples therapist is kind of being a bossy bitch and telling people what to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull that card <laughs> and no jump problem. right in. No um, so when, when I remember when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's striking me and I've, I've chewed on it a lot since. And to me, the, when you talk about the, you know, this is, this is my, you know, what Bill says, this is my issue, not yours. And you saying, I can't help feel bad about it. If I had a time machine, I would go back and fix it. There's that energy around wanting to fix it. And of course I, you know, in, in my time with you and listening to your, your episodes on normalizing non-monogamy, your love for Bill comes through so clearly and your, your respect for him and, and wanting to do, wanting to do things to, to soothe him and, and shore him up and make him feel wonderful. That is so clear. And it is really frustrating when we can't do something to fix a problem. And I think Bill is right that this is his issue, not yours. And that this is a great opportunity of work for you to figure out a way to soothe what comes up for you about not being able to fix it. True. Yes. And I know last time when we talked, it was, you know, some guilt and some shame. And like you said, maybe I should have known and all this. One of the things I wanted to throw, throw back to you is, you know, you, but you have two grown sons and I'm just wondering if there have been times in your parenting journey that might have been similar to this, where you saw one of your sons in pain and you could see clearly what the problem was and you knew that it wasn't a problem that you could fix. 
Yes, yes. I a lot. Yeah, I've seen that a lot in both of the kids. Yes, mm-hmm. they um I, you know, but it hasn't been the difference is I haven't been the source of their frustration. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Where I feel like I I want to take myself out of the picture and let him vent and help him through it, but I just can't seem to find that um, that inside me, you know, because as soon as he starts talking back about the days where we hit didn't have sex for, you know, for a couple of weeks. Um, I, you know, I know how frustrated he was, but, you know, I had to be authentic to me. And I just, I just wasn't the sexual being that I was now. I mean, I had a lot of Catholic upbringing and, and it kept saying to me, you are a vessel for children, not for fun. Well, and when I hear you say that, it's, you know, we, some of the, 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 the homework that I gave you was to start to understand some of the, the characters or chairs, this framework that right. I use. And, right. you know, when I hear you speak like that, that sounds to me very much the adult chair. That's fact and that's truth. That yeah. is that is realistic. It is very compassionate to your 20-year-old self. Yeah. It is... It is loving to that part of you that you're the logic and reason to say, I wish maybe I should have known, but I didn't know if I could get into a time machine and fix it. I would. All of that sounds very adult chair, which is where we want to spend the most of our time. Right. And what I guess I'm hearing is that there is this that that your your most adult and evolved self wants to be able to sit and using our word for our, our series here, witness bill in his frustration and struggle and vent, and let him vent and, and be his best friend in that way. And you say, and yet somehow I can't. Yes. But then what's interesting is when you say, but somehow I can't, you give me logic and reason to explain why you couldn't do those things when you were 20. But I want to stay in when he wants to vent when you realize that you really didn't do anything wrong, you were doing the best you could with what you knew at the time, who you were at the time. And that is clear. I'm wondering about which chair, if you will, or which character gets pinged when Bill is still frustrated. Some part of you that still feels like she needs to hustle. Now keep in mind, these younger parts of ourselves are not aware of linear time. So when Bill is frustrated, if that part gets pinged, this younger part that I want to hear a little bit more from, she may not realize that it's 2020 and all this has happened and, and all of this wonderful logic and reason and compassion and grace that you've given yourself. She still yeah. feels like she's on the, on the hook or something. Right. Well, I think that has to do with my upbringing. You know, my mother had mental illness and she never, um, I was never good enough for her. And I think I feel a little bit that of that child gets deemed when Bill says um, things like, you know, I was so frustrated. I didn't ask. He says, I didn't ask for what I needed. And no, he didn't. And, and a lot of what we've learned in the last five years, which is, it feels like an eternity sometimes, 
is that we're both reactive lovers. Mm -hmm. And when two reactive lovers get together, it's like a magnetic, like, boom, Mm -hmm. you know, it does. There's no initiator. There's no initiator. Mm -hmm. And so if I didn't initiate, then, and Bill really needs enthusiastic consent, that's Mm -hmm. kind of his love language or love Mm -hmm. how he pursues. I didn't, I didn't give him that. And I know why I understand myself. Um, but I, I don't, I just don't understand why he can't let it go. And wait, 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 wait. instead of it about him not being able to let it go, yeah, we're I go do. over to his side of the street in a second. <laughs> what I'm wondering about is what I, I have this, I'm, I'm kind of throwing some noodles against the wall or have this, have this wondering about, this little piece of you that can't let your responsibility go. Now, when you tell, when you've told me and you, you were, you were so eloquent in talking about it on your, on your episode about, about your mom and her mental illness and, and the lack of consistency. And like you just mentioned that you were never enough. One of the things that can happen when you're raised in a home with mental illness is you get the message that it's your job, your the, you are responsible for the emotional equilibrium of your caretakers. Yeah. Yes. And you, you get this inflated sense of duty and responsibility and really even power that it, that you can make her mad. You can make her sad. You can make her happy when that's her mood disorder. Right. <laughs> right? right. And, and so it's this inflated over responsibility for her mo- emotional equilibrium, which can make you incredibly gifted at being intuitive and reading a room and, and noticing things about people. That's the bright light of it. The shadow of it is this burdensome responsibility and honestly kind of misguided notion that it is your job or that it's even within your power to affect the emotional equilibrium. When Bill's words so far, what we've heard is very much him taking responsibility. I didn't ask for what I needed, but then that's that part of you. It's almost like I hear her saying, you shouldn't have had to ask what you needed. If I was a good girl, I would have just known. Exactly. Yeah. But it's also, I think what really gets me is that I've forgotten about it. I've moved on, you know, I, but, I've had therapy it every decade in my twenties. I've had it in my, I mean, twenty since my twenties, twenties, thirties, forties, even my fifties. And I don't think Bill, you know, he's never really dealt professionally with these these issues. And I and I applaud him for trying now. But I resolved myself to the life that we used to lead. And understood it, and I, and and I'm, I don't understand why Bill hasn't. I guess that's, but you're right. Every time I he brings it up, I get this. I shut off from what he's telling me, and I go back, and I'm that little girl again. I'm that. I have tried everything in my power to make it up to you, and you still can't get over it. That's what goes on in my head. Like, I just want it to be done. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so, you know, and, and in that, like where you're, you're wanting him to go, it's, it's one of my favorite, um, sayings about codependency. Like I can't be okay till you're okay. So can you hurry up and be okay? Yeah, I can be okay. Okay. (laughs) So it's like when he's struggling with that, it's like, I hear you kind of going, Oh, my little girl got pinged. She's crying in the corner. Can you be okay so that she can be okay? Okay. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel. Right. So what I'm, what I'm going to say though, is that disempowers you in a way that it isn't in line with the way your adult chair sits, like the way you are able to understand Bill and yourself and your adult is not in alignment with with what happens when Bill is upset and that upsets your little girl. It's like, you kind of like throw hands up and you're like, could, could somebody just, can you just make this better? And it's like, you give away your power. So one of the things that I'm, that I'm going to throw out and, and, suggest is that when you, when that comes up again, that, you know, that you can sort of in your mind, or you could say this kind of look at Bill and say, I love you. And I support the work you need to do about this because it is his work. It we're, is. About to, we're about to get his, his buns toasty on the hot seat in a second. But in that moment, instead of just being frustrated that he isn't over it yet, this is a beautiful opportunity that brings up for you to go and soothe that little girl, to explain to her all the things that she needed to know when your mom was having a mood swing, when your mom was having, was in some ways emotionally abusing you, but in, in her mental illness, that you, you stay in that amazing adult that you've worked hard to be through all this therapy to go and soothe that part of you, to be the adult that she didn't have, the stable the stable one that would be able to show up for her emotionally to explain it to her in a way that she could understand, or at least let that part of you trust you enough to say, this is really complicated adult stuff and it's not your job. You don't have to take this on. You get to just be a seven-year-old little girl and play with my little ponies or whatever. It is, <laughs> you know? Yes. And so I, again, I, I mean, when you talk about it, I can feel that angst of like, right. why is he still over this? And instead of like going into that angsty giving away of your power is kind of how it sounds. Yes. If that maybe next time you could look at it as here is my opportunity to do some repair work and some healing, some um, corrective experience with this part of me that gets pinged that I wasn't enough, that I should have known. I should have been able to, to read him. I should have, it was my responsibility to, to keep his emotional equilibrium that she believes all of that. And none of that is true. Bill's not even saying that's true, right? but she still believes it and needs you to step in and soothe her and give her a different narrative, a different way to understand it. I understand. How does that? No, it sounds perfect. It sounds right on. Because yeah, she, she's, yeah, she still keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know uh, some of the resources I shared with you in the in my relationship boot camp about the inner child meditation and um, you know really understanding this little part of you better. Keep in mind that it may be hard to access that part like adult, compassionate, logical, rational you that has done this work. As you lean down to her, if you will, kind of metaphorically, 
she may be like, who's this middle-aged lady? She just sounds like all those other adults, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're, if you think about where that part of you was sort of frozen in time, adults were not really very trustworthy. They weren't helping you get your needs met. (laughs) They weren't doing their job. And so while you know you're the same person, I know this sounds kind of crazy, like multiple personality disorder or something, but, <laughs> but I do find that if we personify these parts, it gives us a framework to, because again, it's like the same thing keeps happening over and over. And you're like, again, you kind of keep being saying like, when, when's Bill going to deal with this? Exactly. Who knows? Bill, Bill may never deal with this, but you know right. what? You have the power to deal with this differently. Right. And that is about you gaining the trust and access to this little part of you that gets pinged when he's upset and helping. And it can, it might be a slow process at first for her to trust you and to listen to you. She will need a lot of repetition. Remember how when your boys were young, they wanted to read you to read the same book every night. You're like, but look, yeah. I got all these books through the library. And they're like, no, I want the same one because yeah. they want predictable repetition. <laughs> that part, those young parts of us need that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll, in, in our follow-up, I'll, I'll give, I'll kind of highlight some other areas that might be um, in some of the resources that I shared with you that might be especially helpful for you to start to build that relationship with that part of you and give you some, some scripting or some tools to start to soothe that part. And then when Bill gets upset about it again, instead of you getting frustrated, you're like, here's my opportunity. Cause I just felt that part of me get pinged. This is my chance to go take care of her. Yes. I often want to run away and tell them I've got something else to do or work, calling or anything to get away from it. I feel, I feel frightened and I do want to run away like a little girl mm-hmm. yeah. and not face the music. Yeah. Now, and I will say that in my experience with this work that I've done personally, the more I have been able to soothe and reparent the, that part of myself then I am more able to be adult and aware and hold that space for my partner. So at first it might be like, okay, Bill, you go take care of your parts. I'm going to go take care of my parts. We'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll share with each other our successes and our struggles with our parts. But then eventually I think when you hear Bill saying that, even if you hear that little ping from that little girl, you'll be able to have done some of the work to be able to say to her, Hey, remember, this is when you get to go play with my little ponies. This isn't about you. Go have fun. And then you can turn in full adult presence to witness the frustration that Bill needs to vent. I got it. While you're sort of protecting her and saying, baby girl, this isn't your, this isn't your ball of wax. You don't even have to worry about this. I got it. Right. Which is what would have been lovely for the adults in your life to have done for real. When you tried to take the responsibility for your mom and the emotional equilibrium and all of this to be like, go play and be a kid. It's not your job to take care of a mentally ill adult woman. Right. But they did. So you have a chance to redo it. Thank you. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. All right. Thank you for letting me jump straight in. And sorry, I kind of cut you off, Bill, but that feels like we're kind of ready to shift over for now. <laughs> What's that? I said, okay, coach, you're going to put me in now. Yeah. yeah let's, <laughs> let's toast your buns a little bit on the hot seat. <laughs> I, I think the thing that kind of instigated all this, um, is a couple of events. And so 
One is at the beginning, back in March, my, my mother passed away. Um, my dad's deep in grief. Uh, you know, he's threatened suicide and all kinds of stuff. Um, and at the same time, I've had a couple of fairly serious medical things that have come up basically are things that probably are genetic that my dad also has. Mm-hmm. Um, so mortality, I mean, the specter of death is feeling kind of big right now. And at the same time, we've had the lockdown and the pandemic. And so I wouldn't say totally, but mostly uh, a lot of the fun and, and the life that we had been living has been closed down. Mm-hmm. And so I don't feel like we're living. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is what brings me full circle to what happened when I was younger. And just a little more context is, you know, I was a really good kid. So I remember we talked about last last time about, you know, like people get to, you know, make sure we have the, the, the marijuana and, and, you know, maybe some other fun drugs. So the admission of myself is I played by the rules. I was a really good kid. I have never tried any drugs. You know, I haven't smoked a joint. I haven't you know, done anything. And and now I'm in this place where morally maybe I don't feel that way, but now I've got a I have a job that basically prohibits me from doing that. Right. And so if we call it you know, if we call it vices, you know, the one vice I can really participate in is sex. And uh, and that's kind of been taken off the off the table uh, for the most part. So all that together I just I, I don't feel like I'm living. And uh, I'm looking like I I want to, and, and I'm feeling I hate to say it, I'm feeling old. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll certainly bring it up and certainly make it easy to. Uh, it, it seems pretty natural to then go and be looking retroactively at other, you know, have a kind of the life passing for before your eyes, and there's this section of the movie where you're like, damn wish I had done that differently or wow, I really didn't stand up and ask for what I needed or wow, there I was in my sexual prime and not, you know, not having sex with my beautiful wife the way I wanted to. So that sounds like that movie reel is showing you something that's uncomfortable for you. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah, when we got together, my libido was absolutely off the charts. Mm -hmm. And, and yet I, I was with somebody who, really wasn't in a place to deal with that. And I wasn't in, in a, I, you know, what I realized I wasn't in a place to actually ask for what I needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. And so when you talk about, um, you know, when you see this, uh, Felice describes it as you not being able to let it go. Is that how you would describe it too? I, I keep coming back to that, but I, I, I really think it's in, it's in the present. It's the frustration in the present of just not being able to make the best use of the time. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of the pandemic related frustration peeking out, um, over this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and part of it's, I don't know, it's expectation theory or, you know, we, before all, before the pandemic hit, things were really great. I mean, it was like, it was basically, you know, we were having a lot of fun. I think we all were in our stride. And then that just, you know, the walls came down and uh, all of a sudden things changed significantly. 
Okay. And so, so the, the bringing up the, your 20, you know, your first 10 years of marriage or so, is that kind of the time frame we're talking about here? Yes. Um, so I guess I'm kind of hearing it differently that, that from Felice's point of view, you, you bring it up frequently and that it's really about that time. But then as I hear you talk about that, it's more like really your struggle is the present. The struggle is the, the, struggle is the present. I mean, if I could be, why do you bring it up? I'll tell you why I bring it up. Yeah. That's what she wants. It, it, it actually, so actually the, uh, you know, we had the meet and greet, and one of Finn and Emma's questions was, in there was about sexual fantasies. And if I'm really honest with my sexual fantasies, I have a lot of sexual fantasies that are basically based in that time. Mm-hmm. Like, what I wish I was doing in that time. You know, how I wish we were having sex. I, you know, you know that it looked a lot more like now, or somehow I could, I could get her to, uh, you know, to get with the program and, and enjoy herself the way she enjoys herself today. Uh, and so th- I think that was one of the, you know, that was one of the things that sort of basically flipped a switch in my head. And I realized how much of that thought in my head was, was grounded in that time, mm-hmm. you know, kind of wishing things were different. So when you, when you talked about that, When you, when you talked about the, this, when we talked privately, and I think I'm hearing a little bit of it now that you explain this, you know, again, back to these characters that I've, that I've introduced you guys to, um, through the relationship bootcamp, it, it almost sounded like a frustrated adolescent, like, um, and again, tell me, tell me if I've got this wrong in any way of kind of putting words in and throwing noodles against the wall here to see, but it, it almost sounds like, um, I was, I was always a good boy. I did what I was supposed to do. I, you know, I mean, you, you shared some things about your, your family of origin, bringing a lot of, um, some, some shame to sexuality and that it was very private. And so, you know, you did the right thing, you got married and now it should be on. Right. And it wasn't on and it, maybe it was like, it was supposed to be on and you didn't even have to ask for it. Maybe some of that expectation game, like you mentioned, um, and yeah, sort of this frustrated adolescent, like I did everything I was supposed to do and I didn't get what, I didn't get what was mine. I didn't get what was owed to me. Does that, does that flavor of kind of that, I mean, you, you've recently hosted, <laughs> raised frustrated adolescents, I would imagine. Is there some of that tone? Um, I mean, looking at the different chairs, I, you know, I always felt like I was very much kind of in the younger kind of uh, order and rule following. That adaptive child. child. Mm-hmm. And, that that, and that that was me for a whole bunch of my life and that I really didn't undergo an adolescence, you know, basically until midlife. Mm-hmm. Like, like basically, and this is before we opened marriage, that was when the first tattoos happened. When the first what? Tattoos. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we had inked mm-hmm. um, at around fifty, and um, you know, I think that was a, that was a little bit of a rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think I realized is that the model of marriage that I was given and that I entered into, and the assumptions I made about marriage, 
it was kind of what I was trained by by my parents. And my sex life basically didn't, our sex life together didn't get going well until I basically threw that out. So basically, you know, uh, and this is probably 12 years after we were married, you know, I sort of had a personal crisis that revolved around parenting and partnering with police. And at the end of that crisis, I think I changed the way that I, basically I changed the way we were married and the way we partnered together. And miraculously, in that same time period, our sex life also rekindled. Now you say miraculously. It was that tongue in cheek, or you see the co- you see why that would happen. Um, the reason I say miraculous is is I had like a series of panic attacks. Mm-hmm. We're just absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And and police was great, and she comforted me. But in the middle of one of those ones, we ended up having sex, mm-hmm. and the sex we had was just transcendent. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, it was. Had better since then, but at the time it was it was the best sex we had ever had by like you know by a mile. And do you have and any idea or thought about why that might be? I, I think we were just so intimate and connected. I was you know I was you know I was terrified of what was happening. I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was losing my mind. <laughs> and um, but in the wake of that, after that, you know, our, our sex Wait, life. Hold on, let me slow you down for just a second. Yeah. You were terrified. You didn't know what was happening. And she was there and you didn't push her away and you didn't hide your fear. So you were vulnerable. You were as vulnerable as you probably had ever been. You were as weak. I've got air quotes that you can't see on podcast land. Yeah. You were weaker than you'd ever been. The you weren't following the rules about how you were supposed to be as a partner, as a man, as a father, as da 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 da. All that was breaking down, not even because you wanted it to, but this panic, this anxiety was so high that it broke through as a panic attack, and you didn't have control. And she was there, and then there was into physical intimacy on top of it. So you had, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard intimacy broken down as into me see. So you were at your most raw, most vulnerable, and you may not have asked to be seen, but you were there. You didn't hide, didn't run away. And she said, oh, I see you and I want you. I want you in a physical way. And keep in mind, men are very much social uh, socialized to accept and really feel validation from another person, mostly through their penis, because that's the one way we let you be vulnerable orgasm. You know, <laughs> we want our, our, our knights in shining armor to be strong all the time, but you can get the O face. Like that's the one place, but here you were in the very vulnerable, emotional state into me. See, she says, Oh, I see into you. And I, love you and even will validate you in this sexual way, the way that probably you were able to understand the most, that is, it is not miraculous to me that your sex life got better. It makes a lot of sense. It's amazing that you all took a panic attack and turned it into a sexual experience. Brilliant. That's wonderful. But I think so much of that probably was you cracking open, being seen in this way and loved anyway. Maybe loved because of. I don't know, Felice, or you know, I see you, I see you uh, 
he's smiling a lot in this. The, yeah, that, break, yeah. that breaking open was probably really profound for you too. Yeah. I don't remember it as well as Bill does, mm-hmm. but um, I, I do remember it. I remember our house and I remember the day, like the room and, but I didn't know it was so transformative to him, I guess, but he became a, a better father, a better husband. He stopped. Well, and I think too, his career was, he had already, I had, he put in a good, what, 10 years already? Yeah. And uh, so almost. his, well, almost. And so I think his career was solid. People liked him. They, they knew he was a hard worker. They knew his genius. So I think all that kind of, uh, came to a head all at one time and he felt like, you know, I don't need to be at work all the time mm. and I can be home with the family and I can support, you know, the family issues as well as the work issues. Okay. So you saw, you saw this difference. So, sorry, I just wanted to make sure that I slowed that down to, to really, I feel like that that's a, a really beautiful transforma- trans transformational moment that, like I say, even if you didn't say, I'm going to be especially vulnerable today, it's more like, I'm having a freaking panic attack. That vulnerability allowed that really deep connection. So going back, I was asking about the frustrated adolescent and you were saying that you really didn't allow yourself any rebellion until maybe a little bit of this. And then the 50 year old tattooing kind of come back to this uh, adaptive child turns into frustrated adolescent kind of thing. Well, I mean, I, I just, when I look at it in hindsight now, you know, going back a handful of years, I just, I just was always, you know, played by the rules. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then if I look at the last, you know, seven or eight years, I started to break a bunch of rules, mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of rules. Um, but before then I was always, you know, I was always the good kid. You know, and it was all my childhood. Um, I think I realized in retrospect that I was always trying to get favor from my parents, trying to make you proud of me. And for the most part, uh, that right, you know, that they never gave me that. They did not. Not really. No. Okay. Okay. It was more like all these good things you were doing were just expected. Basically, you know, and basically I was just, I kind of went through childhood. I think I got all the way to grad school basic, basically on expectations. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then I, I did change and start doing it for myself mm-hmm. at one point. You know, it was another moment of epiphany. Mm-hmm. Not quite as dramatic as the panic attacks, but I, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly started doing, mm-hmm. I started doing my education for myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that, but that change was when I started, you know, was the first big change and the second was panic attack. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, getting the tattoos is a, is, was it, were also, it was also a very intentional change. You all deciding to, to take 
Felice's infidelity and, and turn it into something that you all could use together to improve yourselves and your life. And the, I mean, that was one of the things that really struck me about both of your episodes is the intentionality and how with each step and the different ways that you've opened your marriage, there's so much intentionality about it and choosing, we choose this. And to me, it seems like the part of you that was so strong early in life and really probably until this 12 year mark in your marriage, it was that adaptive child. And that was not an intentional choice to live that way. Adaptive child is a, is a very protective part of us. And we all, we all have it, different people, you know, cling to it differently, but especially when you, when you are really bound to that adaptive child, generally it's because you believe that you won't be loved if you don't follow the rules. You won't be accepted if you don't fold yourself into the shape pretzel that the people around you want. So you get real flexible and good at folding yourself into these shapes. But you weren't doing it because, again, like you said, you weren't going, you didn't go all the way. You didn't go to grad school because you wanted to. It's because it was expected of you. And so I'm almost like kind of going back to your opportunity to do some, some inner character work. Tell me if this sounds crazy. It's almost like I'm hearing it like you might need to forgive your adoptive child. Realize that he was doing the best he could with what he had, that actually he's probably pretty badass and crafty and smart to realize that that was the best way to protect you, the best way to survive in your family, to survive with your circumstances. And to actually look at, even though you look back and you see like, oh my gosh, look what it cost me to, look what it costed me, costed, cost me, <laughs> what, what's that? cost me to cost. look what it cost me to, to fold myself into this pretzel and to ignore my needs, to not speak up, to not initiate with Felice, to not, to not speak up for what I needed in all these different areas. Instead of only looking at what it costs you, I don't know. It's almost like the adaptive child. I almost imagine him like with his arms crossed with his, with his scowl, like I protected you and you are not even appreciating me. I'm not letting this go. It's like, there's a, it's like static between you and that part of you, like adult you and this part of you. And I'm wondering about like going back and doing some understanding of why he was a crafty badass to protect you in that way. Um, feel some empathy and even sadness for how scared you must have scared might be. Mm, I'm going to just go with scared. There's probably a better word as you dig on this for you to make it uniquely yours, but scared you were to be yourself. And so this part of you that kept, kept you in line, kept you following the rules that made you miss out on things you really would have loved to do to be able to have some empathy and love for him and forgiveness for him. I don't know. Does any of that land or resonate? I, I, I know that, you know, so, several of the women that I see uh, who've become good friends have said, you know, they see all that I accomplished. 
when I was in that, you know, when I was in that, in that time, I accomplished so very much, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of really remarkable things that at at least they, for them, they see as being a lot Mm -hmm. that they, you know, in a sense, wish that they could have accomplished, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then the flip side is, is I get to see the fun things that they got to do, (laughs) you know, that was, was the other side of what I, what I, wanted to do and didn't get for myself mm-hmm. and so that that's kind of the frustration I and mean, maybe you can't have it all mm-hmm. um you know i got a lot from that rule follower right well, absolutely and and again you wouldn't have you wouldn't have chosen to be a rule follower if it didn't give you something i mean these protector parts of us don't come up with with a way to protect us out of the blue or, or in a way that's going to hurt us. Like in the moment it's, it's resilient. It's adaptive. It's amazing really that we, that little parts of ourselves figure out ways to protect us. It's, it's the beauty of, of how resilient children are and humans are in general. Right. So there is this bright light, this, the success you had, your, your achievement, your accomplishments, your ability to, to have a goal and, and meet it. That's the bright light that came from that adaptive child and any bright light casts a shadow. I mean, I, I, you know, I know if you put it in those terms, I think what I was trying to deal with you know, was a military father, mm-hmm. you know, who had absolutely no tolerance whatsoever for vices. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, and it, that was the one thing that was very clear. There were no vices that were going to be tolerated. Well, right. sex was maybe expected, mm-hmm. uh, but it but it it was sort of not tolerated, and, and you know, and for God's sake, avoid slutty women. Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, stay away from those sluts. Um, and um, you know, but certainly no, you know, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, those are absolutely, you know, those are absolutely forbidden. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know where my mom fits into that is is a lot harder for me to unravel. Mm-hmm. Being perfectly honest, I'm gonna unfortunately pause you on that one because mm-hmm. we we don't have time for that kind of work. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that 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 is interesting to like what you what you just said, the way that you acknowledged maybe why that adaptive child. Um kept you folded in the rule following pretzel shape you saying, well, you know, I did have this military father with no tolerance for vices. That is you saying to that adaptive child, Oh dude, I get you. I see why you'd go there. I see why you would help me why you would tell me that this is the way to, 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 to survive and thrive. You know, when I do this character work with, with clients, often they'll be like, like I'll, they'll come back from a, like back when people used to go to parties, you know, um, they'd come back from a party and they'd say, Oh my God, Catherine, it went great. Like, all right, awesome. Let's, let's, let's break it down. Let's harvest what went well. And they're like, Oh, it was easy. I just, I just chained that rebellious teen or that adaptive child in the basement and told them to fuck off so I could go and have fun at this party. And it was great. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not quite what we're after here. Because when you chain that part up there, it's only going to come back hungrier and madder. It's only going to come back with more vengeance, right? To, to protect you. The way that we, that we ease 
the control away from this, these parts of ourselves is to align with them, to build trust, to say, I see why, how, why you did this. I see why you were trying to protect me even. And sometimes this can be a really hard one when it's inconvenient or when you look at what you didn't, what you didn't get to do in this time of your life is even to thank them for the protection that they gave. And like you say, to say, this was a bright light. It cast this dark shadow that I, of things that I didn't get to do. You know, you could have instead had, you could have had an, a rebellious teen part of you that got really strong and, and had a way to protect you. And you might've gone and had all the fun and all the sex and not have had the success or not have and really struggled under the, under not having the approval of your family. Who knows why, which one came up? I mean, we could get into that more deeply, certainly maybe, but not tonight. But it, when you talk about it, and, you know, at least from Felice's point of view, kind of like continue to talk about it and kind of the not being able to let it go. Usually that to me is pings. There is some part of you that is not feeling heard. And when, again, what I would, what I would make up is that there's this, that your adaptive child is not feeling heard and understood. Like, Hey dude, I was trying to help you. And all you're complaining about is you didn't get enough sex. Really? Can we talk about how much I protected you? <laughs> you know, like not feeling that that part isn't feeling understood and appreciated by you. Also hear grief. And there's, that's okay too. Like there is room to grieve lost opportunities, to grieve roads we didn't take, opportunities that weren't available until later. I think that it makes sense that you would be sad and have grief about that, especially right now and the, with the brushes with um, mortality and life being less fun and time ticking and all this, right? Um, so I also would encourage you to do some grief work, you know, where you, you can even look at the five stages of grief. I, as you can tell, I love a framework. So anytime I've got a framework, I can try to push data through. I love it. So, you know, to, if you look at the five stages of grief and you, you think about this time playing, playing with the emotions of all of those stages of grief to give yourself permission to grieve this without vilifying the situation, without vilifying who you were then that couldn't stand up. If you can love that part that protected you and do the grief work, to me, it feels like that might help this feel less crunchy. I don't know. How does that word grief sit with you? Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, my, my, um, my, my father's doing a lot of work with grief and he's actually working with one of the experts we actually there's the sixth stage of grief now, which is which is meaning. Um, oh yes, beautiful. And um, and so we've had my dad and I have had a lot of discussions about that, and so I'm familiar. I haven't thought about applying. It's an interesting concept, the thought of applying grief to what I'm feeling. Yeah, I think uh, people. It's like somebody has to die for us to give ourselves permission to grieve. But I really believe that the the intention and being intentional about grief work is really powerful, and we can apply that intentionality and use grief work 
around a stage of life or, you know, as your, as your, as your children move on and they're not, they're not dependent on you anymore and you grieve letting go of being an active father, an active mother, there are different stages of our lives that we need to grieve as well. So that might be an interesting. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a suggestion that, that, that this um, researcher made that actually the pandemic was a societal grief mm. that we were all grieving our lives or, you know, and, and certainly I've mentioned that in the sense of, of what's going on right now in the sense yeah. of gr- grieving the life that we enjoyed before. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, maybe the idea of taking it more broadly to grieving what happened kind of through my, we'll say roughly my twenties or even my late childhood in my twenties um, is, is something we're thinking about. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you're onto something. Okay. Um, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up and I always like to finish a session with takeaways. So I'll ask um, each of you. So a takeaway is something that um, landed, resonated, something that's kind of stuck in your craw. And you need to think about it more um, an action that you want to take anything that just that you're taking away from this time that you've spent e- examining this, um, whoever wants to go first. Well, I think that um, I've, work so hard to almost like forget my childhood or reconcile my childhood that it's a little frightening to think I have to go back there and regroup with that little girl. Mm -hmm. But, um, that's my only takeaway that I can do it, but I've worked so hard, uh, forgiving my parents and, uh, forgiving myself um, that I thought that I was past it, but this is, you know, um, this is going to be, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to, I'm going to try it. So that's my only takeaway from it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great takeaway of uh, kind of like, again, something stuck in your craw. I, I will mention that for me, um, I, I don't, I don't see, inner child work as something that is a static process that we do and then it's done because we're not, we're not like putting that part of us to rest. The part's not going away. Right. Um, It's more like how to have a relationship with these parts so that they feel seen and heard by the adult you so that they don't pop out in an inconvenient time. You know, like when you're at a party and you're like having great sex and then all of a sudden you like feel left out and jealous and this little part of you needs soothing. Like that's really inconvenient and annoying, right? Or in this setting where you're saying, I want to hold space for Bill. I want to help. I want to help him let him vent. I want to help him maybe grieve this. And I'm not able to do it in the way I want to. It just means like, okay, because that's some part of you that's speaking up and saying, hey, hey, I need a little attention over here. And that doesn't mean you haven't already done amazingly good work. This isn't about us now going and vilifying your parents. It's none of that. No, it's more no. about continuing the work you've done. If you, with the work you've done will have set the stage to be able to probably access this part of you pretty easily and soothe her pretty easily. You're just continuing the work. Okay. It's not starting over or like you didn't do enough or this isn't 
opening the can of worms again. It's just continuing the conversation. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. And it is scary. So, <laughs> and it, and it, it's, it's takes bravery to, to go in there. So I, I wish you, wish you well on that. How about for you, Bill? Takeaway. I, I think there's two things and I, and I was thinking, and I think there's a connection, which is, so one is, I'll put it into other words, but giving credit to that adaptive child and what that adaptive child did mm-hmm. uh, to get me through life and, and, and survive. Mm-hmm. And then I think the idea of applying the stages of grief, what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately think it may come full circle, which is, you know, in meaning there may be a, a path to also uh, congratulating or, uh, you know, uh, accepting what that adaptive child did. Uh, but I, but I, I think that's a meaty, that's a very meaty way to look at the issue uh, that's worth a lot of thought. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much for jumping into the hot seat for us. You guys can take a big, deep breath. You're, you're off the hook. You can sit back and listen to, uh, to others. Um, so everyone, I'm going to ask everyone to, um, take turns. Actually, I probably will. Well, we'll take turns, um, unmuting and giving feedback. Bill and Felice, we will come back to you and ask you to report. You'll be the last ones to talk. And I'm going to ask you to report to us what it felt like to be on the hot seat. And then I'll ask, also ask you what it felt like to hear the feedback. So you're not completely off the hook yet. So just want to let you know, I'll be coming back to you for that. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, Catherine. This, this was really useful. Good. I'm so glad. All right. So um, our witness, witnesses who would like to unmute and share some feedback. I think we're good to go. Um Oh man, Bill and Felice, uh, so many phrases that I caught, uh, Felice, you said what's done is done and there's no way to go back. And just being in that space of understanding, forgiving, forgiving your past, but knowing so keenly that every step of the past has brought you to the awesomeness where you are today, um, that's been something that I know I have really worked with. And I see that in you guys, like every, every step of your past is, is what has brought you to be the, the amazing humans you are today. And I know too, that like, you know, listening to you guys, Felice, you talked about a lot of um, conservative religious nonsense that went on in your life. And, <laughs> you were always the good kid and boy do I ever resonate with that because I mean same here like you know if there was a right way of doing it I'd find a righter way a better way (laughs) and so you know not having that um not having that trial and error as a young kid and now being I'm 40 experiencing that is is really difficult but there's something like I just, I just go back to the part that what if that's what brought you here? <laughs> There's so many people who never get this opportunity. And I look at like the, the conservative, the, the pressure that it's like diamonds, the pressure that builds us is what also what creates the beauty around us. And I see that in you guys. So that's top row for us, for me. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. 
Yeah, Bill and Fleece, thank you. Thank you so much for being brave enough to do this. Uh, I think it's awesome. Felice, I really connected with you on the on the repressed sexuality and you know being being taught that you were a, a vessel for children and, and things like that. Um, you know, if if you've listened to our podcast, we have a very similar background in that. And Bill, I resonate with you in the uh, in the part of I didn't ask for what I needed um, and the guilt and the shame that I carried on that, that, you know, like, like what the fuck, this was all out here and I didn't know it. Like, I didn't know I could ask for it. Like, like <laughs> it, 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 it's easy to let that spin me. It, it still is. Um, and just, you know, now I'm, I'm going to bring Catherine into this of the reminder of the adaptive child. I resonate fully with that. Um, and, and, you know, getting to a point where I thank my adaptive child for keeping me safe in a situation that that was the only way I could survive. Like it was a survival mechanism and I'm grateful for that. So again, thank you so much for just putting it all out there. <laughs> it's brave. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks Jack and thanks. Jill. All right. Who would like to go next for feedback? All right, David, uh, oh, David and Amanda, they raise their hand first. They get to go. Well, first, Thank you for sharing. Um, that was, uh, I saw how brave both of you are. And, um, and, and you've also showed us how, how good Catherine must be. And which makes me terrified to be on the hot seat, but also <laughs> excited for maybe the, the therapeutic value of going through what you just went through. So thank you for doing that and taking us with you. Um, you know, for Felice, for me, yeah, it it started with hearing you you know talk about wanting to 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 fix things for Bill and and obviously you know I resonated with that but but then you know when you brought up your mom and living with the mental illness and you know what that that did for your your childhood and but then also hearing you say that you've kind of you you've come to not grips with it but um you know, a, a place of uh, you know, understanding about it and forgiveness towards your mother and forgiveness of yourself. But then also you're hearing, you know, your takeaway and Catherine saying that it's not because I, I have also those things. And so I, and it resonated with me, but feeling like it's you kind of always have to live with that and that as it's continued work. And that, that is also kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Want it to kind of you know be over, but um, and then you know build to again just to um to to hear you talk about grief and and how that might um actually be a good process to kind of go through in the in the six different steps and the meaning that that might give um uh sounded you know exceptionally hopeful that, that those things can kind of um bring meaning and, and come up, bring us full circle, as you said. Thanks. It was, um, it was emotional, um, to, to hear and, and, um, to be a, a, a bystander and now participating. So thank you for, um, for sharing that. It really felt, um, powerful. And, um, you know, as Amanda said, um, this is this is um, a really wonderful format. And this is a first for us. We've not done group therapy, 
Um, and actually, we're starting to think that we haven't done good therapy. But um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, in keeping Felice with everything that I've heard you say, um, when the, the love that you have for Bill um, comes through, um, and also the confusion about not being able to hold that space for him and um, and the, it being hard for you to hear, hard for you to, to be there for him because it was raising your own defenses and, and um, I could feel that and really um, that was powerful. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, and 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 Bill, the um, working through in your head, miss sort of um, miss time on this earth, um, doing other things, and um, and not enjoying what um, I think we all would agree is you know um, the greatest, which is the company of other people and and the things that that can lead to. Um, it, it's uh, you, you do, I think, um, you know, and it's different for men and women and such, but you, you can really feel how that um, it's easy to get lost in that. And so, um, you know, Catherine, thank you for, for you sort of talking about um, the work that needs to be done to forgive yourself there and, and, uh, and, and also build the, the, the grieving of that, um, the sort of remorsefulness that I could feel was powerful. So thanks. Thank you, David. Great, great word. Remorsefulness. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Laurie and Casey, you ready to jump in? Sure. Yeah. We can jump in. So I took, I took some notes and I'm just going to, start with saying thank you both for being here and sharing your story and, you know, sharing this one piece that it seems like kind of a sticking point for you both. And I appreciate that. And I kind of can appreciate that you've already been doing a lot of work. It, it sounds like you both have been, you know, doing a ton of work, especially when Bill, you brought up, maybe why you're feeling this way when you were saying, you know, you were feeling like this sense of mortality, your own mortality. And that, um, to me, that just, I mean, I felt it in my gut. I've been feeling that lately. I, I don't know if it's from COVID or I work in an industry where I see a lot of people at end of life. And so you, you feeling like maybe you weren't, you know, living your full life or part of your life, just, really hit me in the gut. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and for you, Felice, I can relate so much with hearing someone say, okay, these are my issues to fix. These are my issues to fix. And maybe you hear that, but deep down, you still almost feel a sense of responsibility to fix things. And hearing that you also are going through that, was kind of hard to hear, but good to hear. Um, <laughs> I just really appreciated you both being so, you know, open with what you have going on and that you are both willing to do 
you know, some work to kind of make it not continue to be a sticking point and not continue to have those, you know, sounds kind of like triggers for you both. So thank you. Thanks, Laura. Great feedback. Yeah. Listening to, to, to your story, uh, really, it was funny how, how both Bill and Fleece had moments of such resonation with me. Um, and it brought up a lot of old emotions that haven't been brought up in a while. Um, and so, you know, thanks for both of you guys being, being vulnerable um, and sharing that. My big takeaway, I really liked how Catherine brought that up at the end. You know, we've done a little bit of, of counseling and coaching. And I, I, I was like, why has that never been done before? Is What are you taking away from this? Um, and I think of a lot of it is just hearing your story and what you guys are doing to, you know, try to do the work. And that's just really taking ownership of, you know, your emotions and your reactions. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm right there with Felice. If there's a problem, like I want to be the solver or the, you know, or, or, or do that for her. And, and when you were, you know, Catherine started saying, you know, she was saying that you can't make her this or that, or this really hit with me because I think I, I have, I want to be all that and I can't. And sometimes I just need to work on myself. Um, but then to be able to uh, support my partner, um, you know, with, you know, without feeling an obligation to fix it. Um, and I wish everybody on the podcast could see the amount of love. I, I think I even brought this up last time. I, you, you two are the, are, are, are just, yeah, it's really fun to watch you guys and listen to your story. So thank you. Yes. We definitely get, get a little extra benefit being able to see the love instead of just hearing it. Yes. All right. Thank you. And then Finn, do you have anything you want to share? few quick things. Um, first off, yes, agree. The, the love from you two is just incredible. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and, and doing this and sharing with us. Uh, it was amazing to, to witness both of you and two quick things like with Felice, I really resonated. It's been mentioned already about wanting to fix everything and you can't like that, that really hit home as well. Um, and also you said like, part of you is like never, never good enough. That also, that also hit home. Um, I think on Bill's side, like the, the thought of dealing, applying grief in, in situations where you might not, uh, necessarily think of doing so is really powerful. And I think that reframing that, um, it was, amazing to, to witness. And I think is something that I can reflect on as well and how I can apply that in my own life. So thank you both for, for sharing, uh, and, and being here and all of that. Yeah. I mean, uh, just, uh, again, a huge thank you, um, as, as well from, from me. This has been amazing. 
I think when Emma said she resonated with the fixing piece, what she meant is she's married <laughs> to to an asshole who tries to fix everything all the time. And I didn't say that. Yeah, I know you didn't say that. Um, <laughs> but the that that was you know a, a huge thing for me, Felice. Right, where I even have have tried to be extra conscientious of that the last few weeks and. It's and it's just it's amazing how difficult it is to not do it. Um, where literally we'll be having a conversation and Emma will be telling me something that she's working through, and I'll start to chime in with how I would fix it, and then I stop myself and I say, "Never mind, I don't need to weigh in on this. This is yours." And then I'll start up again, and I I just like can't fucking help it, and and so like it is so aggravating. So I yeah, that one was huge. Um, work in progress. So she was talking about me when she said that she resonated, and then Bill uh, the talking about feeling like you want to live and you're not able to live because of the pandemic. I think this is something that I have really not even just since the pandemic, but a a few um, things that have happened leading up to that, where you really start to look at, like, like you said, mortality in your life and what happens at the end of it. And what do you like, what do you do at this time? Like we have a certain amount of time and we don't know when it ends. Right. And I think thinking about that is it's very scary, but it also is really motivating to go out and like not be afraid to do stuff. But then you you're like get all geared up to go do all the shit you want to do and then they're like, "Oh, but you never mind, you can't leave your house uh because you will kill yourself and everybody you come in contact with," right? And so it's like it's just bullshit, right? And so like that is super super hard. Um patience. Yeah, I just wanted to like even at 33 I know you've got a few years on me, but like, it's, it's very real. And, um, yeah, just not alone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one thing I just want to say, because somebody, so many people have brought up the, the, the desire to fix and the frustration of not feeling like you can fix it. it, Keeping in mind that, you know, Felice, for you to be able to soothe this little part of you that gets pinged so that you can come and hold space and witness bill. That is a tool to quote fix. That is doing something right. It is, it is giving, it is giving the amazing gift of being able to, to witness and hold space and, and, and be that way that you're hoping to be. And just, I just always like to remind people that if you have that fix it nature, sometimes it's just about putting the hammer down and picking up the Phillips head screwdriver. Like sometimes you just need a little bit more refined tool to be able to actually impact, use that energy you have to impact your partner positively. So it is hope is, it is not hopeless for you fixer people out there. Um, I mean, cause you know, not me at all. Cause I don't, try to do that for a living or anything. Um, okay. So Bill and Felice, we're coming back to you to wrap up. We'd l- I'd love to hear both of you share what it was like to be on the hot seat first. And then I'll ask you both to share how it felt to hear the feedback. Well, I'm a A type personality. I was an actor. Um, so I have no problem being seen and witnessed by people. And 
I didn't even know you guys were there, really. It was just, I was focused on Catherine and Bill. And so that, I didn't have any problem with that. Right. Uh, really. So, um, okay. how about for you, Bill? How was it? How was it for you to be on the hot seat? I mean, quite, quite honestly, I, I don't have her performer. Um, but on the other hand, professionally, I, I, I do public speaking all the time. Um, you know, modulo the, the mic issues, uh, <laughs> but but I, I do a lot of public speaking, so it, it really is not uncomfortable. Okay. Um, and I've, I I think I've gained the ability to show uh, some vulnerability. That I, I I see the benefit of that. I'm like a super big fan of Brene Brown. I think she's I think she's awesome, yes. and um, so I I try to take that advice and that, that way of looking at things to heart. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually realizing I always ask this question when I do these, these power of witness groups and you guys are, are definitely an interesting sample because obviously you don't mind putting yourselves out there vulnerably if you've already been on a podcast. So it might not be as, as difficult for you all to be on the hot seat, but, um, okay. So then if you'll both report back and give us, um, some, some feedback about what it felt like to hear the feedback. Uh, the feedback was good. Did I say I was trying to fix Bill? Because I'm not a nurturer, and I don't try to fix people. I just want what is happening is I'm trying to run away from him mm. and finish this conversation. So I go, get over it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I am not a fixer. I mean, I do that at work reluctantly. Uh, but I'm not a nurturer. I wasn't a super good mom that way. I'm always like, you know, get on your boots and get your bootstraps up and figure it out yourself. I mean, I will add to that, but I'm just frightened when Bill brings it up. I just want to run. Right. Right. I super think run. maybe it was when we, you, when you said that about if you could get in a time machine and go back and, and, oh, and, and I could it, fix it. Then, right. Yeah. I would put, if I put my 50 year old, six year old body into my 19 year old body, but I had my head, I'd fuck his head. It fucking brings out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Every day, twice a day. He couldn't, he couldn't be walking. <laughs> <laughs> so Felice, how was it though to have to be witnessed and to hear how your you sharing impacted others? How did that feel for you? Um, gosh, I I don't know. I mean I always feel like I'm being judged day in and day out by people, so no big deal. I mean I just am that way. I always feel people are judging me, you know, at work and stuff like that. And I've grown to not give a shit, you know, and it's not like I don't respect what everybody said to me, but it's like, um, I don't know how to put this in delicate terms. So I'm just, I'm putting my foot in my mouth. It's like, um, thank you for hearing me. You know, I guess and sitting through it and not walking out. I <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'll, 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 you, I'll, you I'll try to be more eloquent. Yes, you be more eloquent. <laughs> I, you know, the, 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 the word I, I, I feel a lot of gratitude for all of you, uh, to share this time with us. I, 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 I really just, 
Yeah. I, I'm very grateful for each of your attention and, and, and your words, uh, for being here. Um, I mean, I will say, you know, I think Catherine gets, you know, the, the gold star with the, the grief suggestion that, I mean, that was really just, that really felt like a, a moment of brilliance just to make that suggestion. Um, and, um, Thanks, you know, man. you were all here to witness, witness her brilliance and, and, and figuring that out. Now I've got to go do the work and chew on it. <laughs> uh, yes. but, yeah. But really just a lot of gratitude for your presence. And, and and just for sharing this time with us. Yes, thank you all for your time. I do appreciate that. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sound so callous. Like, <laughs> I mean, like again, that. it's it's great that that's a that's a benefit of of you. Like you say, the you get to you have uh, built yourself up enough to not feel as um, what's the word. Um, influenced by what people are, are thinking about you or saying, and and that's a that's a lovely skill that I think some of many of us could use more of. Well, when I don't, if you got me when I was twenty, I'd be all crying because you're all saying stuff to me. Right. Well, that, that's why. That's why she's great at parties. Yeah. Sure. Why? Because I don't give a shit. Because you don't give a shit. You just, <laughs> you, just, you just go for it. Yeah, I do mm-hmm. tend to do that. But that's my authentic self. Yes. I don't want to be sitting around thinking second guessing myself right well thank you both so much for for being willing to go first and jump right in and thank you bill for your kind words um that was really really sweet um about um what i said i'm glad that it was helpful and um thank all of thank you for our witnesses to uh to share start to and and again you know we're getting to know our witnesses in how they what they reflect back and, and what, how, how, what you all said um, resonated with them. So I appreciate all of you starting the, the journey of being vulnerable to leading up to your hot seat. So um, we'll look forward to um, seeing, having Jack and Jill on the hot seat next week. And um, I have some follow-up resources for Bill and Felice that I'll share with everybody. A couple of books, um, maybe MNFM, we can even put those in the show notes um, as resources. I have so many amazing mentors and teachers and there's so many, there's so much good information out there that I always love to, to send podcasts and books and articles, anything that continues the learning. So we'll, um, I'll send that in the MeWe group and then MNFM will add that to the podcast notes for those of you that are listening later. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you, guys. Thank you to everybody. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. And we're back. Thank you so much for listening to this long episode, but we wanted to just thank Bill and Felice and Catherine again, and actually everyone else that was part of this Power Witness series for being vulnerable and sharing. This is not easy to do, and we are just incredibly grateful that all of you were willing to come on and share. Yeah. Any yeah. any thoughts, Catherine, before we tell people who's up next week? Just, again, thank you both. Thank you to Bill and Felice for their vulnerability. And I also was blown away at how well everybody did with their feedback for their first time being at the top of the bleachers and the type of feedback that they offered. It was so authentic and so supportive of those two. So I wanted to make sure that I highlighted that, that exciting yeah. work. Yes. And as you can tell, it was very impactful for Finn and I as well. So like this, just listening and being up in the top of the bleachers and it's incredibly useful. Mm -hmm. 
And so again, a, a reminder, if you're interested in doing this type of work, um, not just listening to it, you can head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the resources tab and you'll find the show notes for this or just into your podcast player show notes. And there are links to sign up for or uh, learn more about the cohorts that Catherine is running for this in February and March and and beyond. Uh, so check that out if you want to join in on something like this. And to be clear, those won't be publicized on a podcast. Those will be private. Those won't, <laughs> those won't, those won't be listened to the, the tens of people who tune in every week. Tens of people. <laughs> so our next episode for Power of Witness will be dropping next Friday, a week from today. And the next couple will be Jack and Jill, which I think we said that in, the, um, in this episode as well. But just a reminder, it'll be Jack and Jill. If you have a chance to listen to their episode, before next Friday. They were on episode 97 of our show as well as Focus Friday's episode 1.7. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to those and we'll see you next Friday.